with you, let's turn to, one last time, the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in these black chair pockets and at the ends of the side aisles. So please feel free to borrow one. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to keep that one. Um, we're turning to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to begin the same place we began last week in verse 10. We're going to get a running start this morning. Um, if you're using one of these Bibles we provided, that's on page 839, and it'll be on the screen behind me as well. So please follow along with me as I read from Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love, we love that closing. We love how Paul has prayed for the Ephesians that they would have grace. They would have grace from God, and that's what we need this morning. We need grace. We need you to open our eyes and to open our ears and to help us to see and hear what you want to say through your word this morning. We cannot do anything of eternal value here this morning unless you come and give us grace. We want to love you with love incorruptible. And so I pray that you would come and that you would help me and help us to get all of the goodness out of your word that you have put in it for us this morning. So please help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if, if my wife Kim and I could do what I really wanted to do every Christmas Eve, this is how our evening would look, okay? We would, we would meet, as I know you all love to do, we would meet at Dart Park and sing carols as the sun sets. We'd go home, give the kids some dinner, put them to bed quickly to avoid any fatigue-induced meltdowns on Christmas morning. We would get a hot beverage so we could pretend that we live somewhere it's cold at Christmas, and we would watch It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life, if you haven't seen it, is um, an old black and white movie 
uh, that takes place on Christmas Eve. It's about a man who, on Christmas Eve, comes close to taking his own life until he's given the opportunity to see what the world would be like if he had never been born. It is a heartwarming tear fest, at least for me. Kim will confirm that. And at, at one particularly desperate moment, George Bailey is sitting at a bar at the end of his rope, and he prays, Dear Heavenly Father, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. Show me the way. Even non-praying people pray when they're desperate. When they get to the end of their strength and find they can't handle life on their own, they'll try anything. They'll even pray. And you might think you know where I'm going with this. I'm going to tell you, shame on you. You shouldn't just pray when you're desperate. You should pray all the time. And that's true. You should pray when you're happy. You should pray when you're thankful. You should pray when everything seems to be going fine. But that's not where I'm going. The problem isn't that we only pray when we're desperate. It's that we don't see that we're desperate all the time. We are constantly in need of God. And it's because we don't see that that we don't pray. Now, last week we looked at verses 10 to 17 of this chapter, and we saw that every Christian, everyone who has trusted in Jesus, has, has come into, is engaged in a great battle against an enemy. We have an enemy, the devil, who along with his angels is continually scheming to thwart the work of God in our lives. He's looking to take every opportunity to tempt us, to deceive us, to afflict us, anything that will hinder us in our following of God and his ways. And Paul tells us in this struggle, in this wrestling against our enemy, if we want to stand, if we want to withstand, if, if we want to endure what he throws at us and keep going the way God has called us to, then we need to be constantly mindful of who we are in Christ. He says we need to remember the truth of God's word and the righteousness we have in Jesus. Not our own righteousness, because that would never measure up to God's holy standard, but the righteousness of Jesus given to us as a gift. He says we need to live by faith and not by sight. He says we need to take these truths, these truths of what's, what's true of us in Jesus, and put them on like armor. Just wear them all the time. So, so Paul has called us. He said if you want to stand, you have to know who you are in Christ. But, he, but if we only do that, if we just have kind of things that we remind ourselves of, we're not going to stand. It's not enough. Paul says that there's one thing that we didn't talk about last week, that holds that all together. We need to pray. In this passage, God wants to show us why prayer is necessary and what kind of prayer we need. So we're going to see here the necessity of prayer, the spirituality of prayer, the constancy of prayer, and the community of prayer. And this outline is on the back of your bulletin if you want to take notes. First, the necessity of prayer. So look at, look at verse 18 with me. Now your version, your version of the Bible, your English version might start a new sentence there. It might say pray. But in the original language, it doesn't say pray. It says praying because it's continuing a, a, a thought that started before. He's, so look back at verse 14. Paul says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And he goes on from there. So what's he saying? He's saying, if you want to do that thing I've called you to, stand. The way you have to stand is by putting on the belt and putting on the breastplate, wearing the armor. And he goes on from there all the way down to verse 18 where he says, praying. So he's saying that if we want to stand, the way we stand, the way we persevere in following Jesus, though all hell should try to stop us, 
is by praying. We have to pray. If we don't pray, we can't stand. We need to pray. We need it. What God has called us to do is beyond our strength. God has called us to put off our old life, our old way of relating to money and alcohol and speech and marriage and parenting and work. To live a new way shaped by his holiness and his purposes. He's called us to love him with all of our hearts, to lay down our lives in love for one another. He's called us to courageously speak about Jesus to the people around us, even if they don't like it, and then after we've said it, they don't like us. And those things would be hard enough, but we also have an enemy trying to thwart us at every turn. What God has called us to do is beyond our strength, and that's why he offers to us his strength. So look back at verse 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. God tells us to be strengthened not by ourselves, not just by getting our, our will kind of all screwed up to do what we need to do, but being strengthened by him. He knows that we can't do this on our own. We're not strong enough. We're not good enough. We, 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 we need him, and he offers himself to us. He offers us his strength, and the way he offers us his strength, the way he tells us to seek it, is through prayer. So don't you ever feel your need for this? Don't you sometimes feel like your life is just beyond you? You, you? you can never get caught up at work. It's just always piling and piling and piling. Or a relationship has cooled and you can't, no matter what you try, revive it. The weight of caring both for your parents and for your kids feels like it's brought you just to the breaking point. Life is beyond you. Listen, don't be embarrassed by that. You weren't made to live in a world this hard. We were made to live in a perfect creation, a world without sin and death and sickness, a world where our work isn't full of frustration. We, were made, we weren't made to bear the weight of this fallen world. It is beyond us, and that's okay. Our weakness is not meant to discourage us, Our weakness is an invitation to seek God's strength. That's what we do when we pray. We bring to God everything we can't do on our own. Our needs that only he can meet. Our desires only he can satisfy. Our fears only he can comfort. Prayer is not a burden. Prayer is what we do with our burdens. Prayer is bringing our burdens to the God of infinite strength. So Paul closes this letter with a prayer in verses 23 and 24. He expresses what he wants God to give to the Ephesians. He says, Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Why does he close that way? Because he knows that what he really wants to see God do in their lives, what he really wants to see God to give them, to give them grace and love and faith and peace, He knows that those things can only come from God. He knows, Paul knows, that we won't grow into maturity without prayer. And he knows that we won't be able to reach the people around us with the gospel either. So look what what Paul says in verse 19. So Paul doesn't just pray for them. Paul asks them to pray for him. This is what he says. He says, Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly 
to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Now, Paul is an apostle, right? Called by the risen Jesus. He's the greatest preacher, apart from Jesus, in the history of the world. And yet he knows that unless God does something, when he opens his mouth, he's not going to have anything to say. He knows that he needs God to do it, and so he asks them to pray. Only God can put love in your heart for someone that drives you nuts. Only God can soften the heart of a friend who won't forgive you. Only God can grant faith to your children so they love him and live with him forever. Only God can heal the body that the doctors say is beyond hope. Only God can give you peace when everything around you is crumbling. We are constantly in need of things that only God can do. We are desperate. We need to pray. And if you don't see your need to pray... It could be because you're, trying to, you're only trying to do things that you can do in your own strength without needing God to come through. So look at what Paul, look at what Paul's situation is. Now we, we saw that he was asking them to pray and his situation he describes in verse 20. He says, well, he talks about how he, he wants to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. He's an ambassador in chains. He's in prison, okay? So Paul's obedience to Jesus' call to preach has landed him in prison in Rome And he's waiting there to be called into an audience with the emperor. The emperor. So the most powerful human in the world is going to call Paul in and hear what he has to say. And Paul knows that's going to take boldness. He knows that he can't do that on his own, so he asks them to pray. He's living in such a way, he's following God in such a way that if God doesn't come through, it's just all going to fall apart. So are you living that way? Are you living in such a way that you constantly need God to come through? Are you seeking to turn from sin and live a godly life even though you know only God can change your heart? Are you pursuing reconciliation with estranged friends knowing that only God can make peace? Are you, are you, are you speaking the gospel to your coworkers and your neighbors and kids knowing only God can give them faith? If you're doing those things, then you're going to be in constant need of prayer because you're going to constantly need God to come through in ways that you can't. We need God. He knows we do, so he's given us prayer. Now, what kind of prayer is God calling us to? The second thing we need to see is the spirituality of prayer. So look again at verse 18. Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit means praying in conscious dependence on two things that only the Holy Spirit can do. We need to pray in conscious dependence on the Spirit's access and the Spirit's assistance. And I want to look at both of those things. So the Holy Spirit gives us access to the presence of God. Paul said earlier in the letter, if you look at chapter 2, verse 18, he said, for through Jesus, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So we have access to God through Jesus in the Spirit. So what it means that we need to access God through Jesus, well, there's no other way for sinful people to come into the presence of a holy God. Jesus is the one who has opened the door, right? Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He took the punishment our sins deserved so that we can be counted righteous in God's sight and come into his presence. We come through Jesus. We can't come on our own. We only come in the righteousness that Jesus died to give us. But he says we come through Jesus in the Spirit. Because 
it's only in the Spirit we actually experience and enjoy the presence of God. It's in the Spirit that we experience God's love and his approval and his power working on our behalf. Jesus opens the door and the Spirit brings us through. Paul says in Romans 8 verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, even though we know that God loves us because Jesus died for us, when we feel the love of God, when we feel on our hearts that God loves us and approves us and calls us his children, that is the work of the Spirit. And Paul says, when you pray, pray like that. Pray knowing that because you have the Holy Spirit, you are a child of God. You are loved and welcomed and accepted. That God welcomes you into his presence to hear whatever you have to say. So I want you to imagine that you have a friend who's several rungs up the ladder from you in, in social standing, wealth, fame. Like you, you have no idea why this person wants to be friends with you. But this person has said to you, I want you to feel free, visit me at home anytime. And you hesitate because you sort of, you imagine like driving your 13-year-old car with rattling AC compressor, or maybe that's just me, like up to the pristine gates of this estate, and you, you wonder, like, am I really welcome anytime? Like, doesn't, he probably has more important friends a lot of time. I should come when, at a time when it's convenient, or maybe when I get there, I won't really fit in. And so you hesitate. You're, you're not sure that you can respond to that invitation. How much different it would be if your friend said, instead of visit me anytime, I'm sending a car to get you. I'm, I'm going to do everything necessary to bring you all the way in so you know how welcome you are. I'm going I'm to bring you through the gates. I'm going to bring you to the house. I'm going to meet you there and bring you in. That's the difference the Holy Spirit makes. God hasn't just said, come to me anytime. He's put his own spirit in our hearts to bring us into his presence. So when we pray in the spirit, it means we consciously depend on the spirit's access, that he's the one who brings us in. And it means consciously depending on the Spirit's assistance. Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, in verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We often don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit does. And we often don't know what God's will for us is, but the Spirit does. We can be overwhelmed with all the things we could pray for, maybe all the things we should pray for. We don't even know where to begin. And the Spirit is God's provision for that. When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit prays for us. He leads us in our praying. So praying in the Spirit means consciously depending on the Spirit's assistance. Prayer isn't bringing to God your list. Prayer is bringing to God yourself, your cares, your fears, your desires, to bringing it into his presence and receiving his love and strength. It's not a burden. It's an invitation into the presence of God to experience his love that's better than life, to experience fullness of joy. So is there space in your life for this kind of prayer? Not that prayer always needs to be long, but like everything worth doing, it won't happen if you don't plan for it, if you don't make space for it. We need to pray in dependence on the Spirit. What else is true of the prayer God's calling us to? Next, we need to see the constancy of prayer. So the prayer God is calling us to isn't occasional. It's not something we do for five minutes on Sundays and at small group. 
It doesn't just happen from time to time. He describes it this way in verse 18. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. So he says, pray at every opportunity with all kinds of prayer, always persevering, never giving up. And this this constancy is one of the most common things Paul says about prayer. He says in Romans 12, verse 12, be constant in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. And the way he says we need to be constant in prayer is he says, keep alert with all perseverance. Now, one of the saddest stories in the Bible, to me, takes place on the night before Jesus died. So Jesus has had his last supper with his disciples. He's gone into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is just in an agony as he faces what's going to happen to him the next day. As he, as he considers that he will be hung on a cross, that he will bear the weight of our sin, that he will be forsaken by his Father as he becomes our substitute. I mean, he, Jesus, he falls on the ground. He's so grieved. And he takes his friends with him and he says, watch with me and pray. And they fall asleep. And he comes back to them and he, and he wakes them up again and he says, watch and pray and they fall asleep again. And it happens a third time. Why did the disciples sleep? Because they didn't understand what moment they were in. They didn't know it was the last night of his life. They didn't know that Judas was already on his way with soldiers. They didn't, they didn't know what it meant for Jesus. I mean, for Jesus, heaven and hell, the salvation and damnation of the world hung in the balance And it all hung on him. He didn't want to die. And yet he knew that his dying was the only way to save us. And so he struggled in prayer, the gospel writers tell us, until his sweat became like drops of blood. Because he knew that he and he alone had the choice about whether to move forward, about whether he would become the savior of the world. And of course he did. But in that moment, he wanted his friends to pray for him and they were sleeping. Now, if they had known what Jesus knew, they wouldn't have slept. They couldn't have slept, but they didn't see what moment they were in, so they didn't keep watch. They didn't keep alert with all perseverance. And we can be like that. We can go through our days unmindful of what's happening behind the scenes of our lives, that in every circumstance, everything that confronts us, everything that surprises us, in those circumstances, God has purposes to work for our good And Satan has schemes to thwart that good work, to trip us up. So when we come to the end of the month and we don't have the money to pay all of our bills, God has purposes in that moment to teach us to trust his provision. And Satan has schemes to tempt us to worry. And so we need to watch and pray. When we discover an error, we made it work. God has a purpose in there for us to to say that, to strengthen our integrity, to strengthen our witness and work. And the devil has a scheme to get us to conceal that and to become a hypocrite. So we need to watch and pray. At all times, God is working for the good of those who love him. At all times, our enemy is trying to thwart that work. Do you see that prayer isn't just something you do over meals or at bedtime? It's moment-by-moment dependence on God. It's dependence on God when your alarm goes off and you can't move because you're already overwhelmed by the day. It's dependence on God when the traffic backs up and you realize you're going to miss the meeting with the client. 
It's dependence on God when your boss reprimands you publicly for something you isn't, that isn't your fault and you just have to stand there and take it and be humiliated. It's dependence on God when the car needs a repair and you don't have the money. It's dependence on God when your friend calls you for advice and you have no idea what to say. It's dependence on God when you lay down at night and your mind will not stop racing. Prayer is how we express our moment-by-moment dependence on God. We need him constantly, and when we see that, we're going to pray without ceasing. Now, I don't mean to imply that it's easy or natural, because it's not. There's this 20th century English pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is my favorite quote on prayer. He says, Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. And that's true, right? Everything else is so much more immediately gratifying. Everything else, I can do it, and something changes. And prayer is just like, I'm just throwing it up in the sky, right? You guys know on WhatsApp how, like, the, the double check marks turn blue when your message has been read? And you, there's, there's this, like, gratification of, okay, it's gone through. I, now they're working from that end on whatever it is. Prayer doesn't come with blue check marks. There's no immediate confirmation that God has heard what you said. You, you pray in faith. You pray trusting that God has heard you and that he is going to work. So everything else we do in pr- is, is easier than prayer. And prayer is so contested, right? Prayer, if prayer is how we receive God's strength to stand against the devil, don't you think he's going to do everything possible to keep us from praying? Your time in prayer will be interrupted. The, the devil will wake up your children when you're trying to pray so that, so that they come in and interrupt you and you cannot get it done. I didn't plan to say that. That may not be true. We'll cut that out of the recording. As soon as you start to pray, this is my experience, as soon as you start to pray, you, you're going to think of 15 things that you need to get done that are, that are going to seem more urgent to you in that moment than receiving God's strength. Something will be crying out for your attention, and you'll feel like there is no time to pray. And that's why Paul says you must keep alert with all perseverance. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer, but nothing is more necessary. Now, to this point in the sermon, you might be thinking of prayer as a very individual activity, right? Prayer is me bringing my needs to God. Prayer is me getting alone in the presence of God. But that's not the whole picture. Paul wants us to see one last aspect of the life of prayer he's calling us to. So finally, the community of prayer. Now, can you see in this passage how prayer really binds the church together, right? Paul is asking for prayer, and he's praying for them And this is the third time he's prayed for them in this letter. If you look at chapter 1, verse 15, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He says it in chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Paul is constantly praying for them and asking them to pray for him. Our praying life isn't something we just keep private. It's just between us and God. It's a massively important facet of our life together. Paul makes this explicit. You saw it in verse 18. He says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Just, you're not just praying about you. You're praying for everyone. You, prayer is what binds us together. There are massive needs in this church. Physical financial, relational, vocational, spiritual, marital. There are massive needs. Some of you feel right now like you are at 
the breaking point. And God has given us this gift of praying for each other. He's put his almighty self at our disposal. He's given us a direct line. And God hasn't just said, call me if you need something, or call me as often as you like. He said over and over in scripture, call me continually. Pray without ceasing. I always want to hear from you. He is so eager to give us good things that he wants us to speak to him constantly for ourselves and others. So think, just think what kind of community we would be if as often as we were talking about something we could pray for, we prayed right then and there, in the lobby, in the living room, in the restaurant, in the aisle at Foster's. Think how God would work if as often as we said we'd pray for something, we actually prayed for it and kept praying. What would it be like if our lives were so interwoven that whenever something big came up in your life, you could think of a handful of people who would be mad at you if you didn't call them and ask them to pray? But becoming that kind of church is going to take an extraordinary vulnerability. If we want to see God working in our lives through the prayers of others, we have to humble ourselves to tell them what's really going on. What, what's really going through your mind? What's really going on at home? How close you really are to losing your job or losing your house? Who knows you well enough here to really pray for you? To pray for the things that are really weighing you down? And in how many people's lives here do you really know what's going on enough to pray for them, to seek God's strength for them? Don't you love Paul's vulnerability here? Do you think it was easy for Paul to admit, you know, he's the exalted apostle, to admit that he doesn't know what to say when he opens his mouth? To admit that he needs God to give him boldness or it's not going to come? And yet Paul knew. He knew that prayer was how God would meet him in his weakness, so he didn't hesitate to, pr- to ask them to pray. He was free. He was so free. And if we had this life of prayer together, think how the gospel would advance in Cayman. There's this, there's this place in the book of Acts where the church has been persecuted. They've been opposed, and they gather to pray, and they don't pray that God would stop the persecution. They pray that God would enable them to keep speaking with boldness. And Luke records that the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began and continued to speak the gospel boldly. Think of how God would work if each of us were as humble as Paul and came to our community group and said, I want to speak, but I don't have the words and I don't have the boldness and I need you to pray for me when I go and talk to my coworker or my neighbor or my grown children. Don't you want to be that kind of church? Listen, you can't live the Christian life without this kind of prayer, without prayer that's constant, in the spirit, in community. You can't do it. The Christian life only works when we're praying. It's how God strengthens us for all he's called us to do. So if you don't know how to pray, who can you ask? If you struggle praying on your own, who can pray with you, even over the phone, just to keep it going? How can you press into the praying life of the church? And if your prayer life isn't what you know it should be, which is all of us, then I want you to remember this. This is really important. It is not your prayer life that makes you acceptable to God. It's Jesus that makes you acceptable to God. His prayer life was perfect, and you have been given his record through faith in him. He has done everything necessary to open the way so you can come with confidence. At the end of C.S. Lewis's book, The Horse and His Boy, from the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, the great lion, is trying to convince a very scared horse, 
Bree, the horse of the title, to approach him. And this is what he says. He says, Now Bree, you poor, proud, frightened horse, draw near. Nearer still, my son, do not dare not to dare. And God says the same to us. All who come to God through Christ in the Spirit are welcome. So come weak and needy. Do not dare not to dare. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this gift, this gift that we are receiving right now of speaking to you and knowing that because of Jesus, you hear us, not because we are righteous, not because we've, we've never fallen short, certainly not because I'm a pastor, not because we're at church, but you hear us because of Jesus, because Jesus suffered in our place. He died in our place. He opened the way to you, The curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. You have welcomed us in, and you have given us the Spirit to draw our hearts to yours. And so we thank you for this gift of prayer, and I pray that you would help us to see it as the gift that it is, not as a burden, not as an obligation, not as an item on a checklist, but as an invitation into the fullness of joy that's found in your presence. God, I pray that you would make us a praying church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this is the point in the service when we respond to God for all he's said and done. And so I'm going to call the greeters forward, and they are going to take this morning's offering, which is a part of our worship. But if you're visiting Sunrise, please let the plates pass you by or just drop your contact card into it. This offering to God is an act of worship by those who consider Sunrise to be their church home.